Hello, listeners. As an enhancement to your listening experience, I am now going to present these archive episodes unedited in their entirety, which includes all of my afterthoughts. So, continue listening after the outro music if you want to hear what I thought of the episode. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please support it by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. And now I can also accept Zelle and Venmo. Just use my email address, spacerockethistory at gmail.com. Thanks. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. You got speed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? Good last, huh? We're in that baby light, there's no doubt about it. Liftoff, we have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. That's one small step for man. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 241 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 12, the launch. The first thing we saw this morning was the familiar steak and eggs breakfast for the crew. Mission Commander Pete Conrad, rookie astronaut Alan Beam, and Richard Gordon, the stay-behind fellow who circled the moon while the other two land on its surface. And here they are, the astronauts, as they have reached the white room level, walk across that uh, catwalk from the elevator uh, to the white room itself. First man in uh, will be the commander, Pete Conrad. And rather, uh, I gather you're there at the Kennedy Space Center there at helicopter side. That's correct, uh, Walter, and it's pretty drippy out here at the moment. It's been raining for about the past 15 minutes. Uh, everyone who has one has his umbrella out, uh, has his raincoat on. As you see, the president has his raincoat on. Mrs. Nixon uh, is raincoatless, although a Secret Service man is opening up an umbrella now for both Mrs. Nixon and Trisha Nixon as they step off the helicopter. Coinciding with the president's arrival, a rainstorm swept the area, bringing the worst weather ever for a launch. The word awesome is often overused in our vocabulary. It's tossed around about a pretty day, a good cafe latte, or an attractive person. But the Saturn V surpasses the strongest definition of the word. Awesome doesn't even touch that vehicle. At 363 feet tall, the Saturn is a lot of rocket. Pour several thousand tons of liquid propellant inside, Strap on five huge engines weighing in at more than six million pounds, firing a volcano of thrust out the back when she's rocking and rolling. This bird is one heck of a candle, which is exactly how the ground personnel referred to the truly awesome beauty they rolled out to pad 39A a month prior. Even standing still on the pad, the Saturn V looked for all the world to be a living, breathing thing. 
with liquid oxygen and hydrogen gassing off her, the metal skin popping and groaning as it expanded and contracted with the supercooled blood coursing through her veins, casting a sunrise shadow of nearly a half mile. The satyr was an otherworldly beast you were drawn to and scared of at the same time. It was 68 degrees, overcast and raining at the Cape on November 14, 1969. The ceiling was 2,100 feet and the winds were light. There was some discussion, while the astronauts were suiting up, of scrubbing the launch. But that would mean ramping this whole thing down, draining every drop of fuel out of the Saturn, and sitting on their hands for a 28-day hold. Of course, there was pressure to launch on schedule, even in a storm, and nobody applied more pressure than the astronauts to just go. The countdown clock for Apollo 12 started when Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins hit the water in Apollo 11. For days, weeks, and months, the entire machinery of NASA had been moving toward the Apollo 12 launch, intensity and anticipation growing as the day drew near. Test pilot adrenaline pumping under those skins, under those white pressure suits and clear helmets, ready to climb in and light them up. In mission control, every launch, especially a Saturn, was a major awesome event. They never lost their thrill or their risk. Seven and one-half million pounds of thrust is a lot of energy. Jerry Griffin was the launch flight director for the first time. He would always remember his first launch. As a flight director, you hope that if any problem happens that you have already seen it in training. The weather at the Cape was marginal at best with heavy rain, but Griffin did not show any strain under the pressure he must have been experiencing. Already today, the crew of the second lunar landing had faced the threat of postponement because of weather. Conrad, Gordon, and Bean had arrived at the pad under overcast skies. While they ran through the checklist, a hard November rain lashed at the spacecraft atop its Saturn V booster. Streams of water found their way underneath the boost protective cover and danced across the command module's windows. But the weather was erratic. The skies would seem to clear for a time and then gloom over again. This is Apollo Saturn Launch Control. We've passed the 24-minute mark in our countdown. Now T-minus 23 minutes, 53 seconds, and counting. Still counting at this time all aspects of the flight with the exception of weather looking very good. We have no problems other than this weather front that is upon us. The countdown continuing, we will count, if we can, down to the 10-minute mark at least, uh, where a final determination will be made. At this time in the spacecraft at the 320-foot level, the command module pilot, astronaut Dick Gordon, sitting in the middle seat, completing some final checks of the reaction control system of the spacecraft. These are those thrusters that are used to enable the spacecraft to maneuver in space. We pressurize the propellants uh, prior to launch to assure that they will work properly when required uh, on the flight to the moon. 
In the meantime, with the launch vehicle, we've made some uh, final checks of the Range Safety Command destruct system. These are the destruct packages aboard the rocket that if the vehicle did fly off trajectory and became a danger to land areas, the vehicle uh, could be destroyed. Of course, this would occur after the astronauts were safely uh, separated from the faulty launch vehicle using that escape tower atop the vehicle. That escape tower also has been armed at this time. Our countdown still continuing, weather report still coming in, 22 minutes, 30 seconds and counting. This is Kennedy Launch Control. A hold was called 22 minutes before launch to review the rules and the weather forecast. A weather decision is a classic risk versus gain trade-off. Flight Director Griffin listened closely to his controllers, mindful of his launch window and recycle options. At the Cape, in the Launch Control Center, Launch Director Walter Caprian, or Cappy as he was called, deliberated and occasionally polled Houston for an opinion. There were few easy decisions in launch control. Thus far, the countdown had been nearly perfect. Cappy knew a launch scrub and recycle would take its toll in flight hardware and in people, increasing the chance that there would be a hardware failure or slip into the next monthly launch window. Cappy was one of the members of the original Mercury team. He had moved into launch operations, and like Flight Director Griffin, he was in the hot seat for the first time. The weather briefing said low ceilings and intermittent cloud cover. That was the bad news. The good news was that the winds were light at all altitudes. There were no thunderstorms or lightning reports. During the hold, the public affairs officers commented that President Nixon was in the VIP area, his first and only visit to the Cape to view a launch. Finally, a report from an Air Force weather plane tipped the scales. Ceilings acceptable, winds within limits, no lightning for 19 miles. They would go. The test conductors started their polling. The clock started its countdown through the final 20 minutes. In Houston, Griffin's controllers had purged their bladders during the weather briefing hold. The enormous front screen displays were called up, glowing brilliantly against their black background. After the traditional command to lock the control room doors, the team settled in intently scanning their displays. Within minutes, Pete Conrad's crew and the command module, Yankee Clipper, would be in the hands of Mission Control. This is Apollo Saturn Launch Control, T-minus 18 minutes, 40 seconds and counting. Countdown still proceeding at this time. Although it is touch and go at this time, we are still not below our minimum margins for launch. The countdown proceeding, as reported earlier, we do plan to count down to the 10-minute mark unless we get information prior to that time that would show us we could not go. Uh, the spacecraft commander, Pete Conrad, still appears to be very cheerful in the spacecraft as he reports back on the settings, the final settings of the stabilization and control system switches. These are the switch panels concerned with the propulsion system that is used in orbit and, of course, on the way to the moon for spacecraft maneuvers once the Saturn V launch vehicle has placed the spacecraft on its proper trajectory. We are conditioning the tanks of the third stage of the Saturn V launch vehicle uh, with some super cold helium to prepare it 
uh, for engine ignition, which of course would occur during the powered phase of flight. Since that liquid hydrogen fuel must be maintained at 423 degrees below zero, we want to introduce a cold atmosphere to the tank itself and the engine chamber uh, so that that ignition will be proper when it occurs during the powered flight. Although we are uh, looking a little bad outside here at the present time, our countdown is still proceeding. We're giving reports to the astronauts on our status. They are performing their normal functions at this time as the countdown continues. Coming up in uh, several minutes, the spacecraft will go on full internal power with the fuel cells. We're now coming up on the 17-minute mark. Mark, T-minus 17 minutes and counting on Apollo 12. With 15 minutes left to go, reality grabbed hold of Alan Bean. Sealed in his spacesuit, lying on his back inside the command module, he felt his heart suddenly pound with anticipation. The spacecraft was on internal power now, and in the right-hand seat, Bean had just put the fuel cells on the line. Now, he scanned the gauges for the electrical system. This is Apollo Saturn Launch Control, T-minus 14 minutes, 16 seconds, and counting. We are go on Apollo 12. We are aiming toward our planned liftoff at 11.22 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The countdown will continue. Our latest weather advisories are such that conditions are predicted to be acceptable for a launch attempt at 11.22 a.m. Although we do have rain in the area, our minimums are acceptable. The top of this weather front is at about 23,000 feet, and we have confirmation of very low turbulence concerned with this front. All of these matters related with many other determinations concerned with our mission rules. The launch director, Walt Caprian, has given a go to continue the count. The astronauts have been given this word. They're busy in the spacecraft at this time because the spacecraft has just gone on full internal power with the fuel cells. Up to this time, we had been sharing the load of the power of the spacecraft with the, an external power source. The astronauts also are making their final readouts on the stabilization and control system with Pete Conrad reporting back to the spacecraft test conductor, Skip Chauvin. The astronauts will arm their rotational hand controllers, those hand controllers that are used to perform the various maneuvers in space as the countdown continues. We'll be coming up shortly with some commands uh, signals from Mission Control in Houston to assure that Houston will be able to send proper commands to the spacecraft once we have liftoff. Our countdown is proceeding 12 minutes, 42 seconds and counting. This is Kennedy Launch Control. On the left couch, Pete Conrad was talking to test conductor Skip Chauvin nearing the end of the pre-launch checklist. Dick Gordon, in the middle couch, was making last-minute switch settings. It was very quiet. Everything was just the way it had always been in the simulator. But this was no simulation. Silently, Alan Bean told himself they were really going. It was strange how unreal it had all seemed up to now. For eight months, Bean had been training to go to the moon and talking about it, and yet it was hard for him to believe it was really going to happen. Even this morning, as he sat down to a launch day breakfast of steak and eggs with Conrad and Gordon, suited up, then rode out to the pad, it all felt like a practice run. But now, as cryogenic propellants flooded into the Saturn tanks, Bean knew that the moment of fire and noise was almost upon him, and with it, the end of six long years of waiting.
He had spent more time as a rookie than any astronaut in his group. Just why, Bean could only guess, and only in retrospect. But none of it mattered now. This is Apollo Saturn Launch Control. We've just passed the nine-minute mark in our countdown. T-minus eight minutes, 54 seconds, and counting. Right at this point, astronaut Tom Stafford here in the firing room is talking with Pete Conrad, bringing him up to date on the weather conditions. The weather conditions as reported on the last announcement, that is, we have a top of this weather front of about 23,000 feet, a very low uh, turbulence associated with it. Pete Conrad has just reported back, sounds good to him. Our count still proceeding at this time as uh, Pete Conrad reports back to uh, Tom Stafford. At this point also, Alan Bean, and the lunar module pilot in the right-hand seat, has given some up-to-date readouts on the status of our fuel cells, the power system for the spacecraft, and they've been recorded by the spacecraft checkout personnel. We've taken a look at the lunar module for about 20 minutes. We powered it up at the T-minus 30-minute mark. In the count, powered up all systems with the four batteries in the descent stage and the two batteries in the ascent stage. Uh, the lunar module, of course, which will have the call sign Intrepid when it separates from the command module in flight. Intrepid is go at this time, and we're now powering down the instrumentation. Spacecraft test conductor Skip Chauvin now performing his status checks with the personnel in the spacecraft control room. All report go at this time. The spacecraft ready light should be coming up shortly. We are still go at this time, 7 minutes, 30 seconds, and counting. This is Kennedy Launch Control. Apollo Saturn Launch Control, T-minus 6 minutes, 30 seconds, and counting. We're still proceeding satisfactorily with our countdown at this time. The emergency detection system that can warn the astronauts of difficulties during the powered flight now has gone on its automatic sequence. We have power on with the EDS as the countdown continues. The spacecraft ready light is on, the EDS light is on, meaning the emergency detection system also is go as the countdown continues. The astronauts now standing by in the spacecraft. Coming up shortly will be some status checks here in the firing room. This is Kennedy Launch Control. Still go with Apollo 12 at 5 minutes, 52 seconds. and At 5 minutes to go, Skip Chauvin radioed. Pete, you guys have a good trip. Yes, sir, said Conrad calmly and confidently. Sure appreciate everything. Dick Gordon added, Hold off on the weather for five more, will you? This is Apollo Saturn Launch Control, T-minus five minutes and counting. T-minus five, that swing arm number nine, will now be coming back to its fully retracted position at the pad. Mark, the swing arm now moving back from the spacecraft as planned at the five-minute mark in the count. Just before coming up on the swing arm removal, we went through our final status checks and received a loud and strong go from the mission director, Chet Lee, launch operations manager, Paul Donnelly, and launch director, Walt Caprian, responding to the request from the test supervisor. The lights now will be coming on on the abort panels of astronaut Pete Conrad. These are his cue lights for the five engines in the first stage. These five lights remain on. When we get proper thrust for liftoff, the lights go out informing the spacecraft commander that he has good thrust beneath them. We're coming up now on the four-minute mark. Pete Conrad reports his lights are on. Spacecraft test conductor Skip Chauvin has said, have a good trip, Pete. Pete reported back, uh, we appreciate everything everyone has done. Four minutes and counting, still proceeding at this time. We'll be coming up on our automatic sequence at three minutes and ten seconds in the countdown. We're going through our final astro launch checks. 
at this time as the countdown continues. During these checks just now, the launch operations manager, Paul Donnelly, said to Pete Conrad, the launch team wishes you good luck. May the wind be always behind you. Pete Conrad said, thank you very much. Count still continuing. Final checks of the guidance and navigation system going on now. Pete Conrad reporting back on their status. We'll be coming up on the automatic sequence in about 10 seconds. From that time on down, we're completely automatic, leading up to 8.9, the 8.9 second mark in the count when we get the ignition sequence. Mark, firing command. Launch sequence start. We have the firing command. We're on automatic sequence. T minus three minutes and counting. T minus three. Once the automatic sequence began, we begin pressurizing those big fuel and oxidizer tanks, the overall propellant tanks, in the three stages of the Saturn V launch vehicle. This will lead us up to 8.9 seconds when the engine ignition sequence begins. The five engines in the first stage will ignite, building up 7.6 million pounds thrust total. This should occur at the zero mark in the count. We will get verification through the computer that we have proper th thrust. The hold-down arms will release and we'll be off with Apollo 12. One minute, 15 seconds and counting. Astronaut Alan Bean has just brought the entry batteries on the main power source in the spacecraft. We've conserved those batteries up to this time. We're coming up on 60 seconds. For Alan Bean, every day of the past eight months had been an adventure and the best part of it was training with Conrad and Gordon. The three of them had a bond that went deeper than their mission. They shared a history that began at naval air stations in Florida and California, and the test pilot school at Patuxent River, Maryland. A seat on a lunar mission was as much as any rookie could ask for, but going with Conrad and Gordon was almost too good to be true. One minute! Chauvin radioed. Pete Conrad put out his gloved hand, and for a moment, the three men clasped hands. Mark, T-minus 60 seconds and counting, T-minus 60. Alan Bean running up the volume on his VHF. 50 seconds and counting, 50. We've now gone internal power with the launch vehicle. We're on the internal batteries in the three stages of the Saturn V. T-minus 40 seconds and counting. The spacecraft commander now performing his final function, pressing a button to align the guidance and control system of the spacecraft. Coming up on 30. Chauvin radioed. 30 seconds, 12. Roger, said Conrad. Mark, T-minus 30 seconds and counting, T-minus 30. 25 seconds and counting, we're still proceeding. T-minus 20. 17 seconds, swing arm back. We have guidance internal. At 14 seconds, Chauvin began to count down. 10, 9, 8, ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engines running, commit. The three astronauts heard the distant rumbling of the Saturn's engines igniting. As Chauvin kept counting down, the spacecraft was engulfed by vibration. There was some noise, but not too much. They could still hear Chauvin's voice counting down to zero, even as the vibrations increased. Somewhere in the midst of all that commotion, Apollo 12 left the Earth.
One, zero. All engines running. Commit. Liftoff. We have liftoff. 11.22 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Pete Conrad reports that your program is in. Tower clear. We have got you the roll program and this baby is really going. Liftoff, called Conrad. The clock is running. By now, the whole spacecraft was shaking, but not as bad as Conrad had expected. He scanned the instruments as Dick Gordon called out the time. Three seconds. Six seconds. It seemed to take forever for the Saturn to rise past the launch tower, and when it did, Conrad radioed cheerfully to Houston. That's a lovely liftoff. In the center seat, Dick Gordon glanced through a tiny window in the boost protective cover. Everything's looking great, he told Conrad. Sky's getting lighter. Conrad kept a Hawkeye on the eight ball, the artificial horizon indicator that showed the spacecraft's orientation. It registered the Saturn's slow roll as the rocket steered onto the proper heading. Everything was right on schedule. It was like a perfect simulation. Rolls complete, Conrad announced. Suddenly... Out of the corner of his eye, Conrad was aware of a bright flash of light outside. At that same moment, a long burst of static filled his ears. He felt the spacecraft tremble. Only Conrad saw the flash, but suddenly all three astronauts heard the sound of the master alarm ringing in their headsets. Conrad radioed Houston. Okay, we just lost the platform, gang. I don't know what happened here. We had everything in the world drop out. Roger. One. Fuel cell lights and AC bus light, a fuel cell disconnect, AC bus overload, one and two, main bus A and B out. Apollo 12 was in serious trouble. Salutations from Northern Alabama. This is Michael Annis, your host, and I wanted to say thanks for listening to episode number 241 of the Space Rocket History Podcast, entitled Apollo 12, The Launch, Part 1. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure to bring it to you. I want to give a big shout out to all my longtime listeners. Thanks for staying subscribed and extend a warm welcome to my new listeners. I'm glad you're here. In case you haven't heard, the first 43 episodes of the podcast are now available on the Space Rocket History Archive podcast. This means that the first 43 episodes are once again available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and all your favorite podcatchers. To find the archive episodes, search for Space Rocket History Archive. Today, we salute my satellite emoji donors. These donors have donated for four years in a row and they receive a satellite emoji next to their name on the donors page. Thank you, satellite donors, for your continued support. I do really enjoy giving out these longevity emojis, like the coveted rocket emoji and the treasured moon, sought-after satellite, and the new one, the shooting star. Okay, I had several afterthoughts about this week's episode. First of all, I want to give credit to my sources, a Man on the Moon by Andrew Jakin, 
Failure is Not an Option by Gene Krantz, Rocket Man by Nancy Conrad, The Apollo Flight Journal, and Apollo, an Eyewitness Account by Alan Bean. Well, in case you haven't realized it yet, Apollo 12 means a lot to me. It was the only Saturn V launch that I got to see in person. I've been asked by several listeners to tell the story of what I witnessed that day over 48 years ago. When I viewed the launch, I was only nine years old, and 48 years is a long time to remember things. So, I can't guarantee a completely accurate account, but it is the best recollection that I have. My family was in Daytona Beach, Florida on November 14, 1969. My father had reached a goal at his company, and the company would give the workers that reached the goal a paid vacation down at Daytona Beach. So we, it was kind of a uh, old, rundown motel, but we had a great time there, and uh, the other people my father worked with and their families, they were there too. So we we had generally a, a really good time there, and that happens on uh, several Novembers during the years of my earlier life. They he had made those goals and got to go to Daytona. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. On the day of the launch. We made the trip down to Titusville, Florida, which was not very far from Daytona. It was a rainy day, and when we got to Titusville, we looked around to find a place to park the car and watch the launch. Now, we hadn't been to Titusville very many times, so this, this was like not so easy to find. There were a lot of people there, and they were doing the same thing as us, looking for a place to park, and there was a good, a good bit of traffic. The first parking area we pulled into wanted some amount of money to park. I do not remember the exact amount, but my father wasn't too happy about that. So <laughs> so we continued to search for another place to park, and eventually we found something and parked the car. I don't know if it was cheaper or if it was free or what. I can't remember, but it was somehow better. So we got out of the car and tried to see the uh, rocket see the Saturn but it was so foggy it was difficult to see now we looked and we knew where to look everybody else was looking the same place we were and they'd tell us that's where it is so we knew where where to look and eventually uh, we did get a glimpse of it but we were a good ways away and it was foggy a bunch of people were playing their radios and following the pre-launch procedures on them so we were be ready to know when they were going to launch. So finally, it was time to launch, and the radio was counting down, and I could not see the Saturn light up due to the fog. But several seconds later, we heard a big, loud noise. We searched the sky frantically, trying to see the rocket. And then we saw it flying high in the sky. And I wondered... How did, how did it get so high so fast? We just heard the noise of the launch. Of course, later, I learned that it took some time for the sound of the launch to travel to where we were watching. Anyway, we could see it in the sky, and my mother 
described it as a just-lit matchstick. And I tended to agree that it did kind of look like a matchstick because it was so far away. Very soon, it was out of sight. And I can still clearly remember my mother's response to the launch. She said, Is that all there is to it? <laughs> uh, uh, Mama was not a big space fan. But both my parents made the effort to bring me to the launch so that I could watch the historical event. They were wonderful parents, and the launch just made me a bigger fan of the space program. So, as Mr. Cronkite might say, that's the way it was, November 14, 1969. Okay, I've posted some pictures and the audio for this episode on my homepage, spacerockethistory.com. Hope you check that out. We received two new donations to support the podcast over the past week. Wayne and Naomi H. donated at the Gemini level and earned their shooting star emoji. Jens H. from Denmark donated at the Mercury level and earned his moon emoji. Our Patreon donors are still at 157 with a goal of reaching 218 for 2018 and Our overall donors for 2018 reached 175 with a goal of reaching 418. For those of you who are enjoying the content provided here and have not donated yet in 2018, please consider supporting the podcast if you are financially able. Keep in mind, Space Rocket History is entirely listener-funded. I depend upon your financial support to keep the podcast going. There are three easy ways to make a donation. You can go to the homepage, click on the orange Donate button, To make a one-time donation, or if you prefer, you can become a patron at Patreon by clicking on the Patreon link below the orange donate button. Or you can mail me a check. To do that, just email me, mike at spacerockethistory.com, and I will give you my address. For those of you who have already donated for 2018, I certainly appreciate it. You guys are getting in early, so you stand the best chance of winning one of the prizes. Now, I have the best item yet to be given away. And I gave away one last week. And this week, I'm going to give away another. A listener, William Andrews, a great supporter of the podcast, sent me two Saturn V second stage tie tacks. These are authentic and unique and a piece of Apollo Saturn V history. I'm going to give away the last one this week. To select the winner, we gave every 2018 donor a number. I put the range in Google's random number generator and got the number for John Hilbert. John, if you would email me, mike at spacerockethistory.com, and tell me your address, I will mail this out to you promptly. This is the end of content for this episode. You're welcome to stay and listen to my off-topic thoughts if you want. Thanks for sticking around, folks. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Next week, we will finish the launch of Apollo 12. In personal news, last week I told you about my visit to Huntsville. I didn't mention, I did not mention how cold it was there. The day after we arrived, there was a snow and ice storm that was intense enough 
to cause the closing of the Space and Rocket Center for two days. Several nights, it got down to 8 degrees Fahrenheit. So that was pretty cold. I was getting very concerned that the pipes might burst in the camper, but they didn't. We did lose running water for a couple days because the fresh water tank froze. Now, my camper has what is known as the Polar Package, which means that the manufacturer put in insulation under the floor to prevent pipes from freezing. And, of course, the gas furnace has a duct that blows in the storage bay where the black and gray tanks are, so they don't freeze. Anyway, when things thawed out, we were very happy to see there was no damage. So we came out of that pretty good. Now, another place we visited while in Huntsville, actually it was in Scottsboro, we drove over, and it's called the Unclaimed Baggage Center. As you might have guessed, it had items that were left on a plane or unclaimed in an airport terminal. There were a lot of clothes there and a few electronic items. We got some really good deals on some items like a Kindle. We got two Fitbits, a walkie-talkie, several portable phone chargers, and various cables. So it was a good stop in Scottsboro, Alabama, and I would recommend that. And I want to thank the listener who turned me on to that. I also want to give a shout-out to SpaceX and congratulate them on the successful static fire of the Falcon Heavy. Now, I am going to try to make it to the launch if I can. It's not for certain that I can make it right now, but I'm going to do my best to get over there and see that historic launch. Okay, that's all I have for this week. Hope to have episode 242 posted by next Thursday. So long for now.